Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. just start recording right now we got the sound of the clinking and all that stuff it's perfect how you been man doing well um as any podcast especially watch podcasts or want to do we're going to talk weather for a second it is a scorcher yeah here in southern california and probably across the the american west i imagine um our friends in europe were dealing with some crazy you know heat uh, i guess a few weeks ago a few few months ago and uh, you know, our sort of late summer, which is <laughs> officially our summer, is in full force. Yeah, I mean, for us, the hottest month is pretty much always, you know, September, and we're there. So it's, I think it's like 107 is the predicted high today. It's quite quite hot. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, so hopefully people are able to stay cool around our area. Um, but uh, no, doing well. We're, we're, we're kind of wrapping up a, 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 a tidying up an episode that we recorded, which we'll, we'll get into in a moment, but uh, it's just before the Labor Day weekend here in the States, so hopefully folks have a chance to enjoy you know, a few days off and pay uh, respects uh, to, to, to sort of what that holiday means. Yeah, absolutely. So just by way of background for folks listening, we recorded, we had a special guest, we have a special guest on this episode, but we did a separate recording, so we're going to embed that as kind of a, a separate interview after this track. We're just doing a quick intro and say hi and all that stuff. We actually were fortunate enough to sit down with Serge, so uh, some people will know him. He's got an incredible feed as the wrist explorer or the wrist blorer, however you want to kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, like uh, uh, enunciate that, right? But it's a portmanteau of wrist explorer. But this is the guy who's got that amazing feed that talks about and features images of watches, especially things like Seiko and Omega and stuff like that in these really interesting historic settings. And it's, I've noticed he's got these different sort of thematic buckets that he puts stuff in. You know, he's got uh, uh, things from like conflict history, you know, Cold War, that sort of thing. Uh, space race and aviation. He's got stuff in, you know, uh, the sporting arena. So, you know, stuff like, you know, uh, uh, f- you know, football, not American football, but everybody else's football, football, um, you know, Formula One, that kind of thing. And it's just been a super interesting follow. The guy is clearly like right up my street in terms of why I like watches and how, you know, watches are basically on the sidelines on the wrists of people whether it's you know anonymous people or you know people in capital letters personalities um making history so it was really really great as you know this guy is super international between you know the u.s france japan not easy to nail down in terms of uh the schedule, but he was kind enough to come on with us when he was here in Southern California recently, and we got basically a good hour with him. So I'm I'm very excited to be able to share it. And I believe, actually, I don't believe we know this for a fact. He's never done a podcast before, so 
this is kind of undiscovered country for him and a big coup for us. So salute. Cheers to you. Salute. All right. So before we jump into the uh, to the full episode, Matt, what's on your wrist and, and what's in our glass? So on wrist for me is uh, this is the 16570 Rolex Explorer 2. This is the polar dial, the Swiss only, courtesy of uh, Horology 411. He's an amazing source, by the way. If, if you don't know Chase, look him up. Great dude. But uh, yeah, just a, a phenomenal watch. Wears very well, and in the heat, I really like you know having a bracelet back as opposed to something that's leather or, or frankly you know a NATO that I'm going to get funky you know with uh, sunscreen and sweat and all that stuff. Well, uh, considering the what we just talked about on the weather side of things, putting a polar on your wrist is uh, seems somehow appropriate. Yeah. How about you? What do you have on the wrist? And I'll let you tell us what we have in the glass because we both have the same thing. So this is a little bit of a uh, a preview, probably, of what we'll be talking about, maybe in, in greater depth in a, in an upcoming episode. But we were lucky enough to connect with the uh, the great folks at Oris, and we have two watches um, in for sort of you know in depth hands on. Yep. And we're super excited about it. This one in particular is the Oris Big Crown Pro Pilot Riga Edition. Um, and for folks who, you know, this was a release within the last year, 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I would say it's it's more than one year, less than two. Yeah. And this is a, um, I think this is not the first one they've done with this organization, but this is the the Swiss sort of aeromedical uh, repatriation and within their borders too, I imagine, but also, you know, um, basically medical repatriation via, you know, specially outfitted private jets and helicopters and, and things like that. The watch is amazing. Um, it's on that awesome boonstrap right now. And yeah, we've got a lot of thoughts and, and photos to share, but we'll save that for another episode. Absolutely. In the glass, we have what would be, I guess, for this month's um, feature on um, from uh, Magay Me Latte, which is the mezcal subscription service, basically uh, you know small batch mezcal and other agave spirits direct to your door, and they come straight from the producers in in a whole host of areas. Um, so it's a neat way to sort of get things directly from a producer. Now this is technically a brand, right? But essentially what they're doing is sourcing a small batch for every single month of the year. Yeah. And they send it to folks. So it's, it's in a way coming right from the Palenque to your house, right? It's not going through, you know, the importer and then a brand and then the retail. So it's a neat way to sort of support this project, but also the producers in a more, you know, direct way. And you're getting things, quite frankly, that you won't see in, in a lot of other places. That's sort of the... The mission, um, you know, the mission of it. This particular uh, pour for today is a barrel, um, and this is from Ihutla, which is in Oaxaca. So this is coming from Oaxaca. Not everything does, but a lot of things do. Um, this is a 300 liter batch. Uh, it clocks in at 58.9 percent, um, which is, you know, I think going to be pretty. Um, standard from this region they yep. like things about 50 and above that's yeah. sort of their cutoff it's, it's a little volatile yeah yeah and uh and before we maybe share what we think about it you know this is this this particular agave is what they call karwinski which is a a family a genus of of uh of agaves that cover uh, a couple different names different nomenclatures and some of it is also regional too you might hear you know one name nomenclature in one area of, of mexico that is similar to another but they might just call it something more regional um, so with that, let's give it a sip and see All what right. you think. 
That's nice. It's intense. Yeah. Yeah. That one is, that's bigger than most that I've tried from these guys. Um, the phenolic kind of element is toned down, which I like. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of that. This definitely has a bit of a volatile nose to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it may just be that it's hot, right? So you could taste this exact same spirit on a cold day, you know, and probably have it hit your nose a little bit differently, but you know, it's, it's warm. Um, I like this. I this is not overly smoky. No, um, and it tastes a little green to me. It's very green, and I think that's very uh, telling of Karwinski's. They're very green. I think bright, a little effervescent, um, but green is like first. That would be your color description for it, but is very apt description. I think of this uh, family of agave, and this one's a pr- kind of a shining example. The mezcalero is uh, Jaime Reyes Morales, and uh, again, he's from Ihutla. And uh, this is a fun one. So this is uh, September's offering from Magame Latte. Cool. Well, man, that is what is on wrist for us and what's in the glass. Hey, just I'm going to ask you one last question before we cut this and uh, go right to the interview with Serge. But educate us for a second. You use this term and we've heard it a few times. Palenque? Palenque. Is that the, is that would, I would think that would be the equivalent of a winery. Correct. Um, typically, when folks are talking about like a distillery here in the States or, or maybe, you know, elsewhere, um, uh, it would be equivalent to their distillery, to their their, their, their uh, winery. Yep. Um, and when you're in different regions of Mexico, they even have more, uh, more specific sort of uh, nomenclature, cultural n- names for it. So throughout Oaxaca, they're typically going to call it a palenque. Uh, in other regions of Mexico, they might call it a, um, a vinata. Um, and there's probably a few others that I'm, I'm kind of blanking on right now, but yeah, essentially that's your distillery, your winery, um, and basically the, the place where they make the magic happen. Right on. Well, Hey, the more, you know, so with that, let's go ahead and, uh, we'll cut this. I'll splice this right on and let's hear from Serge. Why don't we just start like this, Greg? It's good to see you again. How are you, bud? Doing great. It's Friday afternoon here, and uh, we're we're getting together for another episode. It's always great to see you, and and I think we actually have a, a really special and exciting guest today. Um, but things are well, you know. School has is is fully in bloom, I think, around here. So, um, but I'm still holding on to the the final grips of summer. I'm not going to let go until the the bitter end. Yeah, absolutely. I have a senior in high school. She started about two weeks ago, and my my eldest is starting at uh, her first classes, college classes next week. So yeah, time just keeps moving on. And you referenced our guest. Why don't we just dive right in so that we can respect this guest time? I'm I'm super excited. We're joined. I'm just going to cut right to it. We are joined by Serge, uh, aka the Resplorer. So the Wrist Explorer. Kind of think of a portmanteau, right? Of Wrist and Explorer. Serge's feed is this unique look at watches worn by people in various interesting historical milieu. So sometimes these are prominent people, prominent individuals, sometimes not. But usually it's, you know, a historic sporting or aviation or a global conflict sort of context. Um, it, It is super interesting content. He's followed and appreciated by some of the heaviest hitters in our hobby. I'm thinking of people like, you know, watches of espionage and Nick at DC Vintage, The Restorian, and uh, the Spirit of Time podcast. So, Serge, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining us. I hope you're well today. Merci. Bonjour. Thank you. How are you doing? Much better now. (laughs) 
now that we have you with us. Technology is with us now. So that's great news. Technology is on our side this time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For, for the listener, we, we had to migrate platforms like in the middle of the, uh, the recording. So we're, we're on a completely different recording platform, a completely different setting. So Serge, thanks for being patient with us. I'm glad this is working out. Thank you so much. And, uh, I'm so excited to be with you. I'm so excited to answer all of your questions. I will try to answer most of them. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a wonderful time. Cool. Well, I let me ask you, I mean, I'm sort of for selfish reasons, but also kind of for my own information. Have you have you been on a podcast before? Have you been interviewed? First time. Excellent. You are my first time. So I will I will remember that day. You never forget, never forget your first. Never forget your first time. So uh, I will remember the day, the watch I'm wearing and, and yourself. So thank Excellent. you. For, thank you for the experience. Oh, I think it's long overdue. Yeah, you're, the quality of the stuff that you put out is so interesting and so cool. So, well, hey, this is a watch podcast. Why don't we start with that? What is the watch on your wrist today? Let's do a wrist check. Ooh. So that one is pretty special. It's... Uh, it's actually a Seiko uh, Tuna Scuba Pro. And, and you know that uh, the Seiko Scuba Pro are, are well uh, sought after. And, and most of them are the famous turtle, the 6306. But I got lucky uh, through someone you just named a few uh, few minutes ago to uh, who sourced that watch for me. And, and I always wanted to get that very unique uh, Tuna Scuba Pro. And, and you won't see many. I think there are a few hundred, and uh, it's a great watch. And, and if you look at it, you will see that it's the only Seiko watch which has Mercedes hands. I Love noticed it. that. I yeah. want to say that I've seen that in your feed, and it looks really cool on that NATO. Is that a Bond NATO or something it's bond, similar? Bond, uh, gray, gray, black, gray, red, because the dial obviously is black, but there is a little 1999, which is... The, the date the watch was issued on, on the on the dial so uh, it's a cool one and I'm, I'm a big Seiko fan so uh. yeah same I um, I have a soft spot for tuna I had a tuna in the past and would like to get back to having one I had one with the uh that you know the 8L35 so the, the yeah. big one and it was just I'm a skinny guy it's just it was same. a little too big so going back to besides there those are meant to be quartz so Yep. I'll, I'll eventually have one back. How about you, Greg? What do you have on the wrist? Uh, all week long, I think I posted something earlier in the week where I had uh, uh, put a new strap on on this on this one. So I've actually been wearing it the entire week, which has been sort of fun. And then just this morning, I was tuning into the Whiskey and Watches uh, podcast and our friends over there, and they had made reference to it. You know, Spence uh, always talks about his grandfather's two-tone titanium Seiko Kinetic. And so anyway, I have this... Uh, just kind of holding it up here for everybody. This yep. uh, the glare is pretty bad, but uh, it's just yeah, it's just cool. It's just uh, titanium, you know, sports one hundred um, Seiko Kinetic. It's it's uh, two tone. Um, this kind of neat, uh, kind of sculpted bezel with this kind of gold ring underneath, and um, it's just fun. I've had this watch. This is probably the longest watch I've had for uh, for what's currently in the collection. I've had it for over twenty years, and and uh, it's ticking and going good, and it looks great on this Hovig's uh, supply house. What they're calling their Tartufo uh, strap, which is, I think, their fancy way of just playing off of the Italian leather, and it's basically their truffle color, I guess. And uh, it's just super fun, and it's running, you know, decently. And I've got a gold buckle on here, so I'm going all the way in on the two tone 
um, the two-tone look and it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. That watch, I think, um, looking at it in plan form, it looks like a cross between, and Sarah's, you might know these references, but remember the, the Seiko ashtray, you know, that, yep. So it looks like a cross between that ashtray and the IWC ocean 2000, like the, you know, the Titan diver from, you know, 30 plus years ago. It's a, it's a cool watch. It's very humble, but very like cool looking and interesting technology at the time. Right. Cause that was a, that was a rotor, but acting as a generator, right. Powering a, a, a capacitor or a battery, not, not a spring like you'd get with spring drive. And you mentioned the Ocean 2000, which is one of my dream watch. Actually, the Bund uh, issued the Bund issued um, version, uh, quartz version. So I hope one day I will get a chance. I was close a few months ago to get one, but uh, it's still a, a, a dream of mine. And message to IWC: Please reissue the Bund 2000. Yeah, I would second that notion. In fact, I have a similar sentiment that i would um send to blanc pond i would love to see them redo the bund watches from the 60s and early 70s and i'm wearing the watch that is probably the most wrist explorer watch that i have in my collection this is the the blanc pond 50 fathoms bathyscaphe yeah. but this is on you know the riggers riggers um you know uh, uh strap from Erica's. So this is basically that they call it an MN style, but this would be, you know, banged out by the riggers loft in these old military units back in the day, you know, taking the uh, either parachute webbing or scuba webbing. This is obviously a lot nicer, but I would love it if Blancpain would reissue something like the Boond, you know, in that a sm smaller case, maybe a non heavily hand finished movement, the four day, not the five day movement, I think they would sell those all day long at five or $6,000. We would put the Submariner out to pasture. I do agree. And, and you know what? The funny story, I'm, I'm used to change watches multiple times uh, during the day. And uh, I have one here, which is probably not a... Which is the um, friends and family uh, Unimatic Masenala. Yes. Which was done, uh, what, last year, I think? And, uh, and that Massena Lab um, collection made of uh, three to four watches um, was um, taking inspiration from very famous divers. And, and the friends and family version is, a, is obviously uh, taking its inspiration from the 55 Thumbs and the Bund, um, and, and the Bund watch. So. Yeah, this is the last thing I'll say about this. This is just kind of an aside, but Greg, I have a friend, a coworker, He's a little bit older than me and his dad in the 60s, 70s and 80s, he was a, um, a U.S. Navy master diver. He was a chief warrant officer at the highest level at the time. So he was either chief warrant officer four or five, depending on when he retired, uh, you know, a highly accomplished diver. And the, the watches that he was issued in the Navy were some of the heaviest hitters ever. And he's got a couple of them still. So he has his, I think it's a, might be a 6305, 6309. He's got his Seiko yeah. still. He's got yeah. his his issued Doxa, but he was issued a Blancpain. Um, he was issued Tudors back in the day. And I think those had to be given back. But uh, 
you know, that would be a small fortune right now if you still had that stuff. That was, yeah. Anyhow, well, hey, Serge, why don't you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Your your feed, as informative yeah. as it is, it is a little bit anonymous. It's it's information heavy, but not as much about you. You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do and where you're from and all of that. Okay. Um, I'm 58. Uh, my accent is from France. I was born east of France, very close to the Swiss and the German border. Um, I have two passports, uh, French, French and Swiss. Um, I also have a green card and a Japanese resident card. So I'm currently living in between Tokyo and, uh, and Irvine, California. Um, I moved to the US back in 2013. Uh, I'm now uh, fully in Japan, I'm still traveling. Um, what about myself? I come from um, an immigrant family, and I think it has some, something to do with my passion for, for watches. My, I come from quite a, a modest family. Uh, my grandfather and pretty much my entire family was working in, in the mining industry and, and just digging balls all day long. And um, I, I remember my dad had a, had a, a real passion for education. And uh, he was not a collector uh, by far, but uh, he loved uh, Fontainebleau, and uh, he had one or two, which I still have. And um, and, and I think the way he, he talked about this uh, fountain pen to me was was quite uh, enlightening. It, it, I saw passion, and again for something which to me was just okay, a pen. And, and uh, I, I think that was probably the first memory I have of connecting history of someone, my dad, and uh, something, uh, which, was, um, uh, which was a Parker, a um, silver, uh, with a silver case uh, pen. And I, was, uh, and I was pretty young. Um, so that, that's how everything started, I think. Uh, I, I guess you, you would have the question. Um, I'm, I'm working in, in a medtech uh, company. Um, I've been lucky for multiple years to, to be in quite international uh, jobs and, and traveling a lot. Back in 2019, I think I, I traveled 459,000 miles and my regular commuting was, uh, was going trans-Pacific. So um, this helped me also to connect with multiple watches from multiple countries and multiple connectors, uh, collectors in, in the world. Um, I've started to collect to collecting watches. I actually don't know exactly when, but it's probably a couple of decades ago. Uh, entering again in, in the watch collecting through, uh, through the fountain pen uh, and, and moving to, uh, to watches. And, and I think there are... Uh, very strong link sometimes what 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 I've heard from from collectors and uh, and again probably it comes from from my roots and, and family history I've never been uh, super excited by uh, um, super complex show off uh, watches um, I I'm a big believer on on watches uh, um, which which are true tool watch made for something uh, also affordable. I'm, I'm used to say one thing is whomever you are, wherever, wherever you are, whatever you do, when, when you buy a watch, you make a choice. And that choice could be a five-minute choice, could be a, a hundred hours discussion with yourself, could be a one-second uh, 
not be discussion, but you do something. And again, uh, you do something which tells about yourself. And then you wear something which tells about yourself. And, and, and that's where my, uh, my passion for watches comes, because I think beyond or beside or below a watch is a wrist, and, and the wrist belongs to a person. And, and that connection is, is super important. And, and I think that's how I started uh, to be interested in watches, to collect, to write about watches. I, I'm lucky, I've, I've been publishing multiple articles on, on watches on, on multiple, on, on multiple uh, sites or books. And every time I do that, people ask me, tell us a story. And, and uh, it's not about details of the watch or about uh, uh, super detailed information about the movement or whatsoever. It's, it's really tell a story. Uh, why is this watch? And, and uh, I, I remember um, being asked by, uh, uh, by Brice Le Chevalier for, for GMT to, to contribute to a book, which is uh, the Millennium Watch book. And, and he asked me, choose one, one watch per year from 2000 to 2020 and write a story. The story of the year and the story of the watch. And, and it was a fantastic uh, experience. So, Is that published in English? I read about myself. Sorry? I was about to ask you, is that published in English anywhere? Of course. Oh, then I've got more homework to do. Yeah, this is fantastic. Do. So, uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, the Millennium uh, Watchbook is, is published. And uh, actually, it, there are two more now. Another one is on Tourbillon, and, and the third one ready to be issued is on Diving Watch. And uh, I'm, I'm, again, just a contributor. Um, the funny story is the one on, uh, on the tourbillon. And, and probably you guess uh, from what I've just told you, I don't like tourbillon. Really, I don't. And, uh, and, and then uh, I, I got that message, which is, hey, Serge, can you tell us a story about tourbillon for, for our book? And my answer was, hey, but you, you know, I don't like tourbillon. I said, hey, that's great. That's a story. And, uh, and uh, if you check that, that part of the book, it's, it's a four-page four article or contribution which says why I don't like tourbillon. <laughs> which is courageous on a book which is only about tourbillon and again which is coming from Switzerland where you have probably the most amazing tourbillon ever made and uh, being allowed to, to write few pages on why I don't like a tourbillon I think is is, is great and was fun. There's always a story to be told like you said yeah. earlier. So uh, again it's all about story and uh, and um, yeah, I've started to, to, to do the same uh, on Instagram with the same objective, which is always one person, uh, one event, uh, a watch, doing watch spotting. Sometimes I'm right, I'm right sometimes I'm wrong. And, and I figured out that it was also a way to create a dialogue with people uh, visiting my page because sometimes I say, okay, I guess the watch is that type of watch. And then I have multiple messages coming saying, oh, no, I don't think you're right. This should be this one, etc., etc." And I've learned so much. But again, the most important was not uh, only learning. It was the dialogue. And the dialogue of people sending me pictures saying, hey, uh, I think, I think uh, uh, you're wrong on this one. This is the one I think uh, uh, you published. And sending me pictures of uh, 
as their own watch, their dad's watch, their uncle's watch, their colleagues, friends, whomever watch, and saying, you know what, I think that's that's the one. And um, and and now I've I've started to do uh, to do that more and more uh, often, which is uh, publishing a picture and and say, hey guys, what do you think? And uh, I, I put my own guess, and uh, multiple people come with their own guess, and sometimes you know what we figure out, and sometimes we don't, and it, it keeps uh, being a, some kind of a mystery, which is even cooler, because when you don't idea a watch, you create something, and you create that kind of uh, big buzz on, oh, we really need to find out uh, what this watch is about, and, and maybe in years, someone will come and say, hey, I got it, and um, there is uh, that, that very famous James Bond, the last win, with uh, Sean Connery, and Never Say Never Again, and where you, you see for probably a couple of seconds uh, Sean Connery looking at his watch, which is some kind of black PVD watch. And, and that watch has been a, a mystery within watch collectors for, and, and James Bond fan for almost ever. No one has been able to ID uh, this watch. And uh, I've started to, to post a picture of that watch, which is not a special picture. Everyone can get it pretty easily. And and few people reached out to me and maybe we will crack the code. Maybe. I think we are we are moving in the right direction. So that's a message for a James Bond fan. Maybe soon we will crack the code. Well, this kind of leads me to my next question. I mean, I was about to ask you, how did you get into watches? But you basically answered that as a through line from your, you know, your uh, dad and relations with uh you know, the fountain pen and that sort of thing. But um, how, my next question, I guess, would be, how do you come up with the ideas for the specific, you know, topics that you're going to delve into on your feed? And I'm, I'll use as an example, just one that I can remember fairly recently, but the um, the pictures from the armored cav, the, the 113 crewman in, in Vietnam, and you know, there's a series of these pictures. Is that something that you thought of and then found, or did you find it and then bring it on to, you know, to share with people? Or I, it, I guess I, I'm an absolute nerd for these kinds of, you know, topics, and you just constantly have like the, the dopamine hit for my imagination. <laughs> Where do you find all this stuff? How do you get the ideas? I just welcome the moment. And to tell you the truth about this one, the M113 uh, um, cab, and uh, I, I live in Tokyo. And in Tokyo, um, close to where I live, uh, there is a Tamiya boutique. And Tamiya, for uh, model kit fans, is a very known Japanese brand, and which, which is model kits. And when I, when I was a kid, I was a big nerd about model kits. I, I was pretty lonely, and, uh, and, and I loved being alone with myself, I think, telling me stories about and, and building kits. And, and the other day, I was just walking back from the office, and, and I found out that boutique, and in, in, in the display of the boutique was this uh, M113. And, and it remembered me a lot of great time I had uh, building that kit. I'm 58, so we were talking about 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago. And, uh, and, and again, just walking back, I started to oh, Let's let's check if I can find a watch which relates to that to that uh, uh, M113, and I've, I've started to 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 check and put M113 on on Google and and check and spend probably one or 
one or two hours till I get that uh, beautiful picture of uh, an M113 crew uh, wearing a, a, a super cool uh, vintage Seiko. I'm lucky. And um, most of the time in, in Tokyo, I, I live alone. My family is traveling back and forth. You mentioned your kids. One of my kids is in, in, is in a boarding school in, in Carlsbad. The other one starts college soon in France. My wife is commuting between here and uh, there and, uh, and, and Tokyo. So when I'm by myself evening, uh, sometimes that's what I do. I have some kind of automatic homework to do one hour per day, checking, checking and trying to find pictures. And I just let my mind go and uh, look around me and say, oh, gosh, maybe. And, and one picture most of the time brings me to another one. Is there a particular source or a particular, um, like a database that you use, or no. is it just regular, you know, garden variety internet search? Nothing, just, uh, just nothing. I, I just go pretty much everywhere, and uh, and and these connections happen. You know, you see a picture, and then you see a comment in the picture with the name of a guy who made the comment on the picture, or a picture of someone you never heard about, and say, "Oh, this is Mister or Mrs." Why? And then you say, oh, who's that person? Because I want to do something about uh, Bush Wars, or I want to do something about Formula One, or I want to do something about some movie, etc. And then I, I start looking at that name, and from the name, I go somewhere else. And sometimes I'm lucky. After a minute or so, I got a beautiful picture of uh, a watch. Sometimes I'm not. And uh, I'm also a big movie fan. And as many people, I guess, I'm, I'm watching movies and wrists. And sometimes I'm lucky, sometimes I'm not. I love the idea that you said of just sort of being of the moment, being curious. You know, I think, and I'm guilty of this too, so many times, you know, especially in, in, on the social media, you see, you know, the beautiful setup, this curated, and, and that's great. And, and it's interesting, but I think there's something to be said of being of the moment and sort of letting your mind wander. And I yeah. think that's a... a a healthy reminder to, to let us all do that. But I think you're doing that in a really cool, neat and focused way. And, and sometimes I also got messages from people following me and say, Oh, have you seen that picture? And, and then we start the dialogue and, and then I, I publish the, the picture with a name. And, uh, uh, but, but again, um, um, the ideas are coming like this and, and it has been like that for me for forever. When I write an article, the best time to write an article for me or to have an idea is when I run and, and I have nothing else to think. I, have, I don't think about my work. I don't think about anything else. And I start with an idea and I end up maybe a one hour run with a totally different idea. And I say, let's, let's put that on a paper and, and, and write. Um, years ago, uh, uh, I wrote articles about uh, names of watches. For instance, why, what does submariner mean? truly mean and and maybe when people put some mariner on a dial they had some ideas and i don't know i don't know these people um i, I don't know how the submariner idea came to their mind but i start to say okay what is the message be, uh, behind submariner and or behind nautilus and and why nautilus and not why not something else and and there are multiple messages when you think about nautilus and uh, is it a submarine? Is it a hero? Is it a, um, about a book? Is it about... It, it can be many things. And, and then I connect the watch with a name. Um, that's what I like doing. And it's almost practicing a sport. I was listening to an interview with Jose from um, Periscope. 
uh, not that long ago. And he had shared that it was that his research had told him that it was sub submariner. And that was such like, I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Like when I was uh, not into watches and, you know, you're kind of watching from the periphery, you're like, well, what's this Rolex submariner? And then you get quickly in, you know, uh, uh, indoctrinated, oh, submariner, submariner, sub, sub, sub. And I was like, whoa, okay. That, it, 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 that was completely, it's very innocuous, but to your point on sort of the naming conventions, that was uh, something that kind of struck me recently. And, and again, what I also like to do is sometimes going beyond the obvious. And, you know, everyone knows Rolex submariner. But the question is, why submarine? Why not another name? Why not diver? Why not? It could be the name of a fish or anything. No, the choice was submarine. And um, and then you, you just let creativity come in and out. And that's what I like doing. Again, it's all about telling stories in the end. It's not about being right or wrong. It's just telling stories. Well, can you indulge us for a second and give us a, a just a brief kind of synopsis or summary? Did you what how, what kind of conclusion did you come to from your point of view about the naming of the Submariner? Um, Submariner is a person. It's not submarine. Submariner. Um, it's about. Um, Again, it's about tool watch. It's about uh, it's it's not about anything related to sea or element. It's about something you are in. You know, when you are a submariner, you are in a submarine, and submarine is a high tech uh, uh, is a high tech vessel. So there is that kind of dimension of something which is pretty high tech. We need to think about time when the name was found, probably in the fifties. So Submariner was probably the top of the top of what you can do in terms of high-tech in, in the world. Uh, and uh, it, it has a little bit of, of mystery. It has a little bit of uh, uh, being a Submariner means you have also to be quite courageous, to be uh, pretty much locked down in, in such a boat or uh, uh, I would say such a case if, if you do the, the watch analogy. Um, Submariner and submarine, and it's pretty cold environment when you think about it. And Rolex is not a fun brand. Rolex is is a pretty cold, cool brand, but which is always about uh, being super serious, being super process. And a submariner is pretty serious and pretty process. You cannot be uh, doing anything crazy when you are in a submarine. You, you need to do follow process and. Uh, and guidelines. So when you think about it, uh, you have a watch which is pretty serious, which is pretty cold, which is pretty high tech, which is uh, uh, pretty innovative. And, and you know, we can keep the discussion going on for minutes about the name, which totally different for Nautilus. Nautilus is a, a dream. Nautilus is something which doesn't exist. Nautilus uh, started with uh, Jules Verne. Nautilus is uh, a fantasy. Nautilus is totally different from Submariner, even if in the end it relates to a submarine too. So, but that's two different perspectives on exactly pretty much the same object. It's interesting you should say that about the sort of the severe or cold kind of clinical nature of Rolex and, and the watch, the Submariner, when you think about it, it, in the submarine service, it is very much checklist after checklist after checklist, procedures, protocols, 
everything is just, and it has to be, you know, you're, you yep. have to physically master an incredibly hostile environment. Um, that's, I think that's an interesting kind of uh, uh, parallel to draw. Yeah, very cool. And when you think about Patek Philippe and the Nautilus, um, uh, Patek was not known for sport watches. So they, at some point, they had to go crazy. So they choose a name which is pretty crazy. Uh, again, Nautilus is, is a book. Nautilus is Nemo. Nautilus is many things which are which start with a fantasy. It tells it tells a totally different story. You had mentioned a few times, and I appreciate your humility, sort of um, in 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 learning as you're delving into a topic, and and also sort of this idea of crowdsourcing information too. And I've seen a few times in the comments, you know, someone will say, "Well, you're the expert," and you say, "Well, no, 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 we're all learning here." And I think in an era where everybody, you know, not everybody, many people portend to be experts or uh, project the image of of being expert level, your 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 knowledge is deep and vast, but it's refreshing and and also I think more uh, engaging to know that sometimes there's a, a, a mutual learning. Yeah, I I think no, I'm I'm not an expert. Again, if if I would be an expert on on something, it's probably telling stories again, and stories sometimes are not again right. I'm I'm not. I'm not for accuracy, even if we talk about watchmaking, but I'm not for that. And um, uh, if thinking about Seiko, for instance, I'm a big Seiko collector and I'm a big Seiko fan. But in terms of knowledge, I'm probably nothing compared to some of the Seiko craziest collector I know. And sometimes I got messages on, on my feed and say, oh, Serge, you did a mistake. It's not a 9943, it's something, it's 9943-something, etc. And why did you... Uh, why did you put that information? That's typically from a Seiko collector community type of message where you have these the deepest of the deepest of the deepest experts in the world of probably watch collecting and fantastic people. And uh, say, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you, I've learned something. And, and uh, I'm not claiming at any point to be right or wrong or, or being an expert. And, uh, and, and same um, when, when you tell a story, my message is you like the story or you don't like the story. And it's not because I'm displaying the picture of anyone known that you like or you don't like that I'm a supporter. And sometimes I got messages uh, quite recently uh, uh, posting a picture of the che, che Guevara, Ernesto Guevara, and got very heated discussion saying, how can you do that? Uh, and some people say, oh, and basically they told me you're a jerk. And some people say, no, you're right. And uh, it was a right or wrong type of discussion, and my message was, "Hey guys, I'm I'm just displaying someone who's an icon, and whether you like it, like the person or not, you cannot say anything. He's an icon, and and about some very interesting watches. And same as everything I've said from the beginning, the guy at some point has made a choice to wear a certain type of watch, and that tells a story. And it was very funny." Uh, discussion uh, I, I stopped I stopped the commentary at some point because it, it was going crazy I say okay let's move on to something and but uh, the, the, the way I ended up was uh, uh, the Cuban Revolution was um, again Castro Guevara and few others against Batista and and few others and uh, I published a picture of Castro and Batista both wearing Rolex and a picture um, even more, I, I picture, uh, I, I put a picture, sorry, of uh, the guy who was uh, uh, lead commander of the special force, um, which ultimately arrested and killed uh, Ernesto Guevara. 
and, and the guy during an interview, he was wearing uh, a Rolex GMT. And uh, as, as you probably know, Che Guevara was known to wear what? A Rolex GMT. And my message was, hey guys, history sometimes is weird. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this guy wearing a Rolex GMT, knowing that he has arrested one of the most famous Rolex GMT wearer in history. And I don't have the answer, but the question is there. No, I, I did wonder, and I had low-key talked to Greg about this beforehand, using exactly that as an example, just if you get pushback, because sometimes you, you post things that to me are pretty innocuous, and maybe the Bush Wars is a better example, yeah. you know, where there's one part of the population that might feel you know, really um, uh, uh, put out or offended because of, you know, oh, that's a colonial power that, you know, that the bad things they've done. And then another group of people might think like, well, it's just a moment in time in history and it's, it happened and it's, you know, it's this military environment, military context, let's look at it. Um, So you basically just answered that question without me having to ask it. And I, I like your content all the same precisely because of the fact that you don't you know shy away from having that stuff so good on you and, and again it's not about politics it's about it's about watches and it's about a person wearing a certain watch at a certain time in a certain place and that little moment uh, of that little picture which is probably a one second picture taken by someone tells us many things and it's not about supporting any any camp and Obviously, I have my own ideas and political opinions, which I keep for myself. But uh, um, another way, an, another way, may, maybe to to answer some of your question about how I get there. As I told you, I'm a big Seiko collector. So when I started to look at pictures, I said, "Okay, where could I find cool Seiko pictures uh, from whatever the 50s, 60s, and 70s?" And and then I've started to almost travel in my head and say, oh, you know what? Uh, maybe I will not find cool Seiko pictures in Europe because they were, Seiko was not popular too much during that time. And, and of course, Seiko is famous for issuing some military watches. Um, one of the very famous uh, was in South Africa. And I've started from there. So, okay, let's try to find a South African Air Force Seiko picture uh, because I'm lucky uh, enough to own one. And uh, from there, I ended up the bush war and from there I ended up in Angola and from there etc etc and, and have people from uh, uh, Angola from Mozambique who, who sent me pictures say oh that's it's so cool you, it's, it's, it was tough time but you, you're talking about our own history and check that watch and sending me pictures I, I think I have a sense of where you're going to take this because I'm, I'm sensing a central theme in a lot of you know what you do and, and why you do it but what is it about watches that relates to history so well and why is it so fascinating to people that connection and, and again i think it's it's all about um a watch is made for a purpose and, and that's my first belief and uh, uh, when i mentioned tool watch I, I really mentioned that which is why military watches are so interesting because they were pretty much disposable thing they weren't just tell time and throw it away, uh, whether it was a Rolex or a Tudor or whatever, uh, a Doxa. And, uh, and, and it was made for a purpose, and that purpose only becomes a reality when it's worn. And uh, 
And again, it tells you something. And, uh, and that purpose becomes reality. When you, um, a military watch is totally useless till it's worn. And that very particular time, which is, okay, put the watch on my wrist to do something, is for me a historical moment. Um, and then it's a little story of individuals, which becomes big stories of countries, which becomes history of the world. Because ultimately, you know, whatever big history we have, in the end, we are all human beings. And uh, sharing little moments, uh, tiny moments of a tiny local history. But in years, it will be probably part of the big history. And none of these guys wearing watches in these pictures were maybe thinking about, oh, one day I will be on an Instagram page telling about history of my country or history of uh, uh, either a war or any kind of uh, big sport event or etc. No one think about this, but then it becomes a reality forty years after. Right, and if it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't, you know, a modern platform like Instagram, it would be some history book or a picture book or what have you. When you think about it, really, right? I mean, it's only until relatively recently in history that this kind of thing—I'm holding up a, an iPhone—has made the utility of the watch, you know, a, a wristwatch relatively less prominent. But the one thing I would think of is, you know, when you go back to that maybe mid-century through the 80s, 90s, no matter what sort of context that you typically look at, you know, uh, rich person, poor person, working person, somebody engaged in some kind of military endeavor or flying or under the ocean or whatever, they might be wearing something different, doing something different, but probably they had to have a watch you know, that we, we take for granted how important it is in all kinds of human endeavor to know the time and to have a, a concept, you know, of, of discrete increments of time. And it seems like the most fraught human activities are the ones that where time and, and being able to master it, or at least have a good understanding of it, are the, the ones you know, where you, you have to have a watch or you have to have some kind of accurate way of keeping time. And whether that's being underwater or, you know, navigating across the pole, you know, in, in an early jet powered aircraft or, you know, even navigating in a ship in, in the, you know, 1600s, yep. you know, time was so, so critical. And as you say, it just plays into, into history. That's, it's a fascinating way to look at it. And, um, uh... As I said, I'm I'm 58, so uh, I was uh, I was five when when the moon landing happened, and I will remember that time all my life. I had my my dad telling me, "Hey, comes here and, and watch the TV." It was a black and white uh, screen, and uh, in, a, in a little apartment east of France, and I still remember that guy going down the ladder, and uh, and he told me, my dad told me, he said, "You will remember that time all your life," and and maybe that's another answer to your question about why the story because i was lucky to attend that story and i'm a big omega speedmaster fan and probably it comes from there i think it's probably one of the best ever made watch uh, because of that and, and when i say that i'm not saying i'm right i'm just saying for myself i think it's one of the best and many people could say the opposite so you've said a few times i'm curious if you could maybe just 
build out on it too. You know, the watch that somebody wears says something about them, right? The watch on their wrist says something about the person. What, how would you describe that in terms of either yourself or just, you know, in, in sort of the stories that you find, like, what do you, are there any, um, are there any sort of buckets that, that people fall into or is everything individual to the person? Like, what does a watch say about itself? You know, if you're, it's on your wrist or, or, or in some of the stories that you're sharing. Um, do you know why that's at the exact time, which is I'm, I'm sitting in front of 10 watches and I will pick up one. And, uh, we all make choices in our life every day. And, uh, um, sometimes uh, when I talk to, to people in, in, at work and, and they ask me questions, some kind of mentoring, coaching about some decisions they need to make about themselves, about their career, about their job, I say, disconnect everything. You have one second to answer my question. And one second means what? You disconnect your brain and you let your heart and guts talking. And uh, that one second decision could be super critical for your career, but it also could be super fun for choosing a watch. And uh, when you do that, you put a little bit of yourself out. And uh, I have, uh, uh, when, I, when I, I look with my two sons, I have uh, three children, uh, one daughter and two sons, and, and my two sons are, are very different in terms of watch tastes. Uh, one is super classic, the other one loves G-Shock. And again, it tells me about themselves. And uh, 16 and uh, 16 and 18 uh, years old, but they already made some kind of choice. Very little choice. We are talking about watches here. We are not talking about anything else. But it's amazing to see coming pretty much from the same environment and same culture and uh, et cetera, et cetera. One is following one path, which is a super classic, uh, uh, vintage, small size, uh, a clean, dressy type of watch. And every time he sees that, he says, wow, that's super beautiful. And the other one saying, oh, no, I want the bulky, uh, indestructible, cool uh, G-Shock uh, with the craziest color and the biggest size. And then the question is why? And when you ask that question, then the story gets out. And uh, what I love with meeting with collectors, watch collectors, my first question is, yeah, why? Just why are you, are you wearing this watch? And you know what? One thing I, I learned is you need to ask three or four times why to get the reality. The first why, as we say, is okay. I'm wearing that watch because I like it. Ah, okay, fair enough. Why? Why do you like it? Oh, I'm, I'm, I like the shape. I like the color. I like it. Et cetera, et cetera. Then you move to the second or third. Hey, why? Why the shape? And that's the number three or four or five why you get the reality of the person. It reminds me this, it reminds me that. It's the same story as the one, the question you asked me about, uh, about the M113, the, the model kit. It just remind me, 40 years ago or 45 years ago, east of France, uh, sitting by myself and trying to paint an M13. It doesn't remind me the Vietnam War or anything like that. It just reminds me uh, maybe a cool time I had for 10 minutes. But that's my story. Hey, as an aside, you've mentioned East of France. Are, are you Alsatian? Yes. Okay. 
that's that's very cool. I have a connection there. We'll talk about that some okay. other time. I'm yeah, from Toulouse. Yeah. I'm from Toulouse. Okay, got it, got it. South of Athens. Excellent. Well, hey, getting back to our topic, um, when you think about all of these sort of, and again, it is largely sort of historical um, milieu that you post about and that you expand on. Other than Seiko, because obviously, like me, you're a huge Seiko guy, and Seiko is is certainly a great brand. Are there any other brands that you keep coming across, or that maybe you are secretly delighted to find when you look into pictures and you finally discover, like, hey, what is this person wearing? What is what is Eben Barlow wearing here, or you know that kind of thing? Is there something that you know you run across over and over again that you you think is really cool? Um. One, one thing, uh, so Seiko, uh, obviously Seiko Citizen, uh, I'm, I'm big in, in Seiko Citizen. As I told you, I, I love I love Omega. And uh, sometimes I'm still trying, I'm expecting to find something which has not been found. And you know, that's that's a little bit of uh, what what I'm trying to find. Um, I'm, I'm still expecting to find some Omega Speedmasters uh, worn in totally different environment than just by pilot or it's pretty easy to get astronauts pictures of uh, Speedmasters or people in space. Obviously, it's, it's almost too obvious, but, uh, but I try to, to, to find something like that. Um, I, uh, I have also some kind of nostalgia for brands who do not exist, which doesn't exist anymore. Because again, brands, they go up and down and sometimes they live and survive and they die uh, like human beings. And uh, finding uh, and learning about some, some brands which do not exist anymore and finding them in some kind of cool wrist or cool, cool places, historical places is, is for me important. Um, yeah, that's... And, and yeah, it's almost... An, uh, Endeavor and, and trying to find. I was super happy a few months ago to find a picture of a, of a pug, a Seiko pug, um, worn by uh, um, South Vietnamese Special Force. And again, when you connect a Seiko pug, it's nothing. Why is this watch coming? And I think the dial was as a, I, I think it was almost a, a, a true pug with, with a gold yellow dial. Finding that picture of that guy. As a, the South Vietnamese uh, ranger during Vietnam War wearing a Seiko bug somewhere in the jungle. That's yeah, stuff like that that would that would tickle me, you know, coming <laughs> across things like that. Yep, yep. And and you know, again, it it brings questions. And I what I like also is to leave people with questions. I have no idea of who that guy is probably, and I did a little bit of research. I have no idea what happened to him, and I have no idea where the watch is. And why? The watch on his wrist. I'd see a picture like that and wonder, you know, where where did he get it? You yeah. know, was he, was he gifted the watch by an advisor? Yeah. You know, did he have some time with his family and, you know, went someplace to find it? And all, all that stuff would run through my head, I can imagine. And uh, another story was a famous uh, François Sauver, a Formula One driver, uh, who's, you know, there is a pog, uh, there is a Seiko pog, Sauver, uh, yes. which is a blue dial. And uh, I've started, and, and again, you can find easily 
pictures of François Sever wearing that watch, but uh, I kept looking at it and I found out something quite interesting. Jean-Pierre Beltoise, who's another very famous uh, Formula One driver, uh, Jean-Pierre Beltoise's uh, sister was uh, François Sever's wife. And uh, Jean-Pierre Beltoise was wearing a Seiko Pog blue dye. Maybe there is a connection here. They were friends, they were part of the same family. Maybe it's not actually François Sever, blue pod. Maybe it's Jean-Pierre Beltoise who just bore him the watch for a, for a race and the guy was won that watch and was taken in picture. Maybe it's the opposite. I don't know. But how cool is it to think that the, the exact same watch was worn by two very famous French Formula One and, and racing drivers who were part of the same family through the encounter of uh, one sister with one guy. Yeah, maybe it should be named after the wife. <laughs> Good point. Right, right. If that's the connection. Well, hey, gentlemen, we are coming up on a, uh, you know, I know we have a little bit of a cushion for time, but we're definitely coming up on the end of the the time frame we allotted for ourselves. Uh, Serge, we would love to have you back. I mean, this is, this feels like we're just barely scratching the surface and, you know, we, we could have you on at some point in the future for a proper talk where we have a a drink, maybe a, a good glass of wine, yeah, a con cognac, or I'll, I'll pour a, a good, like an Alsatian Pinot Blanc. That's a, one of my favorites. Yep, yep. So uh, I tell well, you what, with that. Oh, yeah, no, this is, this is great. I mean, there's so many stories to tell, is I think what, you know, I, I kind of gather from our conversation. And you can gather it from from the feed, you know, if you're on the Risplore, um page. And then, of course, you know, through through uh the the writings but um listening to you now and, and ha having you sort of walk down the, the the train of thought and reasoning that you use it's it's so clear how curious you are how how many stories there are to tell um and quite frankly i think you know there's a whole world of sort of you know things to explore that are outside the the watch hamster wheel that so many people find themselves in with with sort of you know modern and new releases and what do we think about this and let's have commentary on that and I think, you know, quite arguably, this is much more fascinating and interesting. Thank you so much. Thank well, thank you. you. Thank you, Serge. I appreciate you coming on and, and taking some time out of your day. And uh, we'll have to figure out a way where we can work on the, you know, across the date line or, or something like that. Either that or Greg and I will have to convince our respective wives to let us to travel to Japan. You are all welcome. And Japan is a wonderful country for watch lovers. It's probably... Uh, one of the best place uh, to to do some watch spotting and uh, it, it's a true genuine uh, watch fan country uh, I'm, I'm learning that and uh, as you know Japanese are crazy about watches and uh, you can you can find some really crazy nice beautiful watches with super cool history I've been learning that from uh, our friend Mike Stockton over at Fratello and, and him and Balaj have been kind of, you know, sharing sort of their their watch hunting stories and and, and sort of desires. And it's, it sounds, you know, you're now echoing that same sentiment. So it's, Oh, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's um, uh, and Geneva or Switzerland is obviously a wonderful place for, for, for watches. But I think Tokyo has everything from the little uh, watch boutique in Ueno, uh, only displaying Seiko Vintage crazy things on just like this to a super high end or 
very tiny boutique only for Speedmasters. Uh, vintage Speedmaster and, and the boutique is super tiny, but you have, when you get in, you will see some of the craziest limited edition not available anywhere in the world, and you will see five in the window. And uh, close to a super nice, fancy uh, sushi bar. So, man, if you have a chance when, when Japan will reopen, please come and I will be your guide. Oh, that sounds absolutely perfect. Yeah, you're selling it. I'm I'm ready to buy a ticket. Please do. Very good. Well, Serge, thank you very much. Greg, I'm going to uh, defer to you to go ahead and, and turn us off because you are at the controls for this one. Yeah, this feels different. I feel like I'm in control for once. I'm just kidding. It's a... Uh... It's easy to, to work with this one. So a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Serge. Yeah. We hope to see you again soon. Thank and you. You know where to find me. Yes, we do at the uh, wrist floor. And actually, Serge, what, is there other certain outlets that people might be able to find some of your longer form uh, written? Uh, you can uh, you can check uh, World Tempest and um, check the, uh, the Millennium Watchbook. Uh, you will you will find. Uh, um, in, in World Tempest, I, I wrote a lot of articles, and they all start by "Why not?" Why not? I love it. That's right in right in theme. Thank you. Well, this was a real treat, Serge. Thank you so much. Have a nice uh, day and enjoy your weekend. Thank you. I'm, I'm, traveling, I'm, I'm traveling actually this weekend, so enjoy yeah. enjoy your weekend. <laughs> all right. Take care. All right. So what did you think of that? That was an interesting conversation with Serge. A lot of fun. Uh, I think we, we wrap things up by seeing how how cool it is, how curious Serge is. And, and I, we, you know, we, we talked about this before, you know, there's some hot topics some 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 maybe figures that are controversial. And it's not about making a splash per se, or it's not about, um, you know, sort of having this presence is really this curiosity, right? And storytelling. He says this, you know, several times. It's right. about storytelling. I Really cool, uh, and a lot of people know him, but we're hoping that maybe even more people might learn about the work that he's doing, his writing, um, and, and sort of how he approaches you know his account, which is very awesome. Yeah, the writing thing I think was one of the most um, intriguing things that I came away with because that seems like a natural for him, so I, I shouldn't be surprised, but I am surprised. I did not know that he you know has written work out there, and now I feel like I've got some homework. Yeah, that should yeah. be some fun stuff. Speaking of homework, um, how about we throw out some some sort of recommendations before we scoot out of here? Yeah, absolutely. I've got something um, that is I've just sort of rediscovered. I've gone through phases reading the work of uh, the author William Gibson. I don't know if this rings a bell for you. So kind of a futurist author, um, late 80s, 90s, maybe even a little earlier. I'd have to go back and, and check some of the like the copyright and release dates on some of his works. But he is, um, I think, widely credited with the person who invented not the concept of, but the term like cyberpunk, cyberspace, um, you know, the, the concept of surfing the net, the matrix, things like that. And I am currently rereading and I'm actually listening to because I spent a lot of time in the car. Uh, one of his books, and there's a trilogy, we, and I'll talk maybe about the others in the trilogy, but um, this title is Count Zero. And without, I won't go into the nature of the story, you know, in terms of what the, the plot or the storyline, I would just say that if you've never read this guy's works from, and he, he writes in a number of different sort of arenas, but this is the main one, this sort of uh, future fiction from, again, from like the mid to late 80s, early 90s. 
And it's incredible and almost a little um, distressing how prescient some of the things that he wrote about or how, how prescient he was whoops, writing about some of the things that he he wrote about, you know, that seemed very dystopian in the books by design. And now, you know, looking around, there is a lot of this that you can see either, you know, fully matured in, in society around the world or, you know, things that are kind of coming to fruition. But the idea of a post-national, you know, government entity that is not maybe not governmental, but corporate, um, you know, that sort of thing. And the idea that you know, corporations wage war on each other instead of nation states, things like that. That's kind of in the background of his works. But, you know, I think um, if he could translate himself back in time, you know, 40 years, uh, he would not be surprised by, you know, an entity like, say, Amazon or Apple or, you know, Microsoft or, or what have you. So, you know, as, as big and sweeping Google you know, these kind of things, they would, he would not be shocked by that at all. So anyhow, I, I really recommend them. These are interesting, entertaining. It's definitely a step above pulpy type fiction, um, but it's uh, it's interesting stories of kind of cyber daring do. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of a thing. So again, William Gibson, Count Zero. Two really interesting uh, book rec uh, recommendations the last uh, few episodes from you. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Flying Naked was the other. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Good summer reading. A um, couple interesting, I guess, like multimedia, kind of social media things I thought were really cool. A few of these have made the rounds recently, but um, just want to highlight some accounts I thought were really cool. Uh, one is watch-related. Um, uh, it's a big account. I'm sure a number of people follow, but I just have really enjoyed his, his stuff lately uh, and in general. Um, Hairspring on Instagram. Yep. Um, this account basically kind of digs up uh, kind of un, not unknown, but maybe previously forgotten or sort of under the radar stuff, which is really in our wheelhouse. It's typically dressy, but there's some tool related things. You know, we're thinking, you know, early Chopard, um, Universal Genève, you know, uh, uh, Kronos, um, early uh, Pateks, maybe unknown Audemars, you know, Piguet's. I mean, just really, and, 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 you know, usually there's a good two or three paragraphs in the post telling sort of the history, why it's unique, why it's interesting, maybe why it might be percolating again. Uh, great account and uh, really, really cool people behind it. Um, and then another one I found more recently, this is a, a, a more of a photography-based account, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a cock, it's, it's kind of drinks, beverages, but product photography. The per, it's cocktail camera, and okay. this is a photographer who is a, a, a professional photographer, and, and, and really he's you know photographing in bars for brands, whatever. But the behind the scenes is really cool, and just the the depths to which he can go to create you know a setting, a scene, a stage, yeah, is awesome. And uh, and the photos are just I mean out of this world good. So um, two really interesting you know accounts that I've been really enjoying um, lately. Right on. Well, dude, I think we should probably uh, wrap it up. I mean, we're, we're well past an hour now with these, you know, front and back segments, but it was fun to sit down with Serge. I'm glad we were able to finally make that happen with him. And dude, it's great to see you. Thanks for pouring this for me and teaching me a little bit more about the uh, agave spirit world. Always my pleasure. It's always fun to share them with you. And uh, I think by the next time we talk, we might be able to recap what's going to be a really fun event. Uh, we've teased it a few times. That's right. Um, we'll say no more than, um, you know, there's a beer, there's a barrel, 
and their spirit of time. Yeah, that's going to be fun, man. <laughs> and we'll tell people a lot more about it the next time we get together. Absolutely. Salute. Salute. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.